Hello and welcome back to episode 36 of Double Reel. This is the third part of our monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. Hopefully you've caught up with the first two parts which came out in the past couple of weeks. If not, please do go back to your app, download them and have a listen. Part 1 is Double Reel Monthly with news, reviews of new releases John Wick Chapter 4 in Renfield, my monthly David Cronenberg film which was M. Butterfly, and James's look at a Nick Cage film picked at random which was Lord of War. Part 2 was our regular features including our classics and recommended feature 25th Hour, our hidden gem Matchstick Men, our one that got away about Shikar Kapoor's Pani, and a remake hate watch of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Now in our final part for this month we give you The Big Conversation, where we talk about a topic from the film world in more detail. First of all, a warm welcome back to my co-host, James Adamson. Thank you very much for the introduction. Let's get stuck into th- reel three. Okay, so w- once again, if you've, if you've heard the, uh, the, the features episode, we do have a little bit of background noise, which I'm hoping we can reduce technically. Uh, it's Windows' fault, so blame those cunts at Microsoft. Uh, sorry about that. I think the audio is still decent. Um, thank you for sticking with us. Um, the topic we're going to be talking about this big conversation is overrated directors. So this this plays back. You mentioned this as an idea to do for a big conversation, mate, and it also plays back to the recent uh, big conversation we had about the uh, best film directors in our opinion currently working today. Uh, this is the slightly more mean spirited version of that conversation where we talk about directors where we just think they've got a reputation they don't deserve. They are really kind of, uh, everyone goes on about them, don't understand why they keep getting budgets to make these big films that are always, a, you know, absolute horror to watch. This will be a matter of taste, I'm sure. But um, first of all, James, what's your idea of an overrated director? What goes through your mind when you're thinking, like, what are the criteria for someone to be seen as overrated? I think it's a very holistic thing. I think it's very, I think it's based very much on your own experience. For example, everyone I, not everyone I've encountered, but everyone seems to enjoy for example the films of um wes anderson i think they're shit but whenever wes anderson releases a film they always tend to be a buzz about it oh who's going to be in it what's the setting going to be what though how many oscars do you think it'll win for set design costume makeup etc whereas i've never got that hype from it Mm -hmm. so i think it's Something that you have felt yourself, because you probably, I we, we both think Baz Luhrmann's shit, but say for the, the sake of argument, I thought Baz Luhrmann was actually quite a good director, then you'd think, well, he, he's overrated, James seems to like him, but I didn't like Moulin Rouge, I didn't like Australia, I didn't like X, Y, and Z, do you know what I mean? You're right, there is definitely an element of like personal taste to this, isn't there? This personal kind of view, other, you know, uh, look, to give you an example, right, when we... Uh, when I put this out on the socials and ask people to say um, that the directors that they think are overrated, uh, apologies, uh, thank you very much to everyone who contributed. Only really got sort of time to, to mention the directors, not the names of the people who said it. Lots of people said the same names. So names of overrated directors, Tarantino. Uh, there's a really good example. We think he's brilliant, so we don't think he's overrated at all. But yeah. someone who is not into Tarantino says he is. Guy Ritchie came up. <clears throat> Wes Anderson, who you mentioned. Uh, Michael Mann came up. M. Night Shyamalan, Christopher Nolan, Terence Malick. Uh, one person said Steven Spielberg. Uh, Sam Mendes, Sam Raimi, Taika Waititi, Sofia Coppola, David Lynch, Ken Loach, Denny Villeneuve, Baz Luhrmann, Tim Burton, Ron Howard, Guillermo del Toro, Paul Thomas Anderson. So that list contains some people who I names, totally yeah. think are o- overrated. There are other people I think are absolutely brilliant directors, uh, and I don't think they're overrated at all. So there's definitely an element of per- personal perspective in this, right? If we're gonna, 
if we're going to navigate this, I do think we need to allow a little bit for that element that some people say a director is overrated because director's films are not to their taste. Like, I've heard people say Stanley Kubrick is overrated. And I think that's the best example of, look, you don't like the films he makes, yeah? There was nobody better at making films the way he made them than he was, right? He is, the thing about him is, he is a bit of a Marmite director. He makes films in a certain way. That's a turnoff. And I think we need to try and, uh, when we go through and talk about the names of directors, I think we need to try and say, is this really the Emperor's New Clothes where people are kind of, like uh, almost going along with this same shtick that the director like puts out and it's it, it really isn't very good and just some people seem to like it as opposed to I, I mean the, the example that I would throw up here is that Christopher Nolan makes films in a certain way and that leaves some people cold but he's brilliant at what he does do you know what I mean I, I might be splitting hairs here but I think let's try when we go through to try and pass that and say what do we you know is this a case of this is just a matter of personal taste or is this a case of this director is fucking pulling people all over people's eyes? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's... Maybe that could be the kind of objective of this mm-hmm. this big conversation is that there's directors that were just listed there that we like. Mm-hmm. However, maybe we find a director that nobody was listed there that maybe the Academy has given Oscars to. Like, for for example, the first one I'd think of is... Uh, is it Jane Campion? Yep. No, I don't think she was on that list there, was she? That you just she, she wasn't on the list that people mentioned on the uh, on the socials, but she is one of my... Horrendously overrated. She is one of our nominations for overrated, and I think that's a definite metric. If someone has won tons of awards and nominations for Best Director when you, it's simply you can't see what, what you know how they would justify that, then I think that definitely counts towards overrated. I think another ground rule I'd like to suggest, well, let's discuss it. Maybe you can hold this up. Because I remember you talked about, you know, maybe Scorsese is overrated. I would like to draw a distinction around uh, the total body of work of a director. And if a director hasn't done anything that good in ages, but when they were good, they were very, very good, I would give them a pass on this. Do you know what I mean? And I think Scorsese is an example of someone who is making films that aren't at the level that they used to be, but when he was at his best. I mean, I don't think you can call someone who did Goodfellas, Casino, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, After Hours, Your Fucking Love, overrated. I think you can call him someone who's not been near his peak for 20 years. How? What I will counter to that is, is that, okay, in your opinion, they've made good films, but I think, certainly for myself there and with Tarantino, I love some of Tarantino's films, but when you described Pulp Fiction to me, you went, oh, it's my, it's my favourite Tarantino film, I love it, it's one of the best films I've ever seen, I absolutely love it, it's great, it's great, it's great. I saw it and I thought, meh. So there tends to be a kind of thing of, I could describe that to you, like for example, in the in the first reel I said Lord at War, you've never seen it, it's really good, get it watched, it's got this really good sequence, I think it's really great. You might watch that sequence and think, meh. Do you know what I mean? So I think, from my perspective, I think Scorsese is overrated because... You you absolutely love him to bits, but I think you were watching his films at the time they were coming mm-hmm. out. I'm watching them 20, 30 years, 40 years later in some circumstances, and I'm watching them after I've been recommended them by yourself and just the general consensus on the internet and thinking, right, everyone is saying this film is good, I should enjoy it. And then it that almost sets it up to fail. 
I, yeah, I think it's, it's another thing to explore when we start going through the directors that we might nominate. And I think sometimes the fandom around a director plays into that, doesn't it? Because for me, right, um, I apologise if I gave the impression that um, Pulp Fiction was my favourite Tarantino film, and it's obviously Jackie Brown. It's but Jackie I, Brown. But, but, I, but I do know that, I, you know, I did rave about Pulp Fiction and, and it didn't work as well for you. And I think that's an interesting thing to look into. Because I think the period in which, like, Quentin Tarantino sort of, you know, flirted dangerously with being considered an overrated director. It's when he, in my opinion, leaned in a little bit too hard on the things everybody really wanked over about his films. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, he found some like old surf rock from the 1950s that no one's heard of. And basically that whole scene is a pastiche of a TV show that was only shown in America for like five months. But because he's such a geek and he watches all those things, he decided to recreate that. And that's just so fucking random, man. It's like that... I think he pandered to that for a while with something like Kill Bill and Death Proof. And that that was when he risked falling down that hole. And he climbed out of that because he almost got that out of his system. And since Inglorious Onwards, he's found a way to kind of kind of explore the things that he's into while still making much, much better films than that. And I think that's something to look into. It's like why Tarantino, in my opinion, isn't overrated is that you see every film he makes, he keeps pushing and exploring and trying to do great things. And the reason I think Wes Anderson should be on this list is it's almost like he goes, right, let me assemble this cast. And I know that if I have that actor and that actor kind of pulling funny faces in this scene, I know if I set it in France in 1930 and have that kind of scene of everyone running away really fast, I know the fans will love that. So I'm just going to fucking do that. Do you know what I mean? And it's that almost like inherent creative laziness. Do you know? Yeah. So there's that fandom. There's that. What What is the director doing? Is the you know is the director genuinely trying to do something you know new and push the envelope and everything else? So you know and. You know, it's interesting that, you know, some directors on that list might fall right into that and, and some might not. So, um, do, you want to, do you want to nominate somebody that we can kind of look into as an, as a, as an example of this? Um, I think we should go for Baz Luhrmann. Let, let, let's talk about Baz Luhrmann. I do want to talk Jane Campion. I do want to talk about Wes Anderson. But yes, let's do Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann doesn't have to take much time. I can summarize Baz Luhrmann in 60 seconds. He made Romeo and Juliet. I hate Shakespeare, so I'm not going to like that film anyway. And then he made Moulin Rouge, which got lots of plaudits and lots of attention. And that, it was, uh, you, did you know, you thought it was shit, didn't you? What's that? Moulin Rouge. I turned it off after 20 minutes because it was giving me a migraine. Yeah. And it then, might it might turn into a fucking brilliant film after that, but I, I have my doubts. Then he made Australia, which he has not been held held to account for he should do, he should have gone on fucking trial for that film and then his version of the great gatsby is pretty shit as well the version i mean both great gatsby versions are terrible but it got loads of attention and people seemed to like it because it had leonardo dicaprio and it had him wearing a big yellow suit and it had big fancy lavish dresses whatever and then he made that elvis film and that got nominated for all sorts of oscars that elvis film is shit it's it's really bad. It's it's made Elvis really uncharismatic and just bland. It's not that it's not that the performance is bad. The performance by Austin Butler is good, but the whole story of Elvis is this big lavish lifestyle, and he's just made that a really uncharismatic story. So here's where I think Baz Luhrmann kind of falls into this territory. He started out with like an Australian indie film called Strictly Ballroom, and I think we do have. 
you know directors will be talking about. I think I'm going to mention at least one more director on this. Show. They have a, they have early hits which almost set a template for the kind of film they're going to make. And and the longer they go on and the more different things they try, the more you realise that they you know they've kind of they were a bit of a one trick pony. Strictly ballroom is kind of the idea of taking like the very stuffy traditional ballroom dancing and making it much more exciting and sequiny and 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 full of pizzazz, right? And it follows two young characters who want to inject some life into it. That film was very successful. Not quite so much. I mean, it did good business and everything else, but it's been very influential because literally Strictly Come Dancing has taken that whole idea that say, we're not just going to do Strictly Ball Dancing in the old days where it's a man in a top hat and tails and a woman in an old ball gown and they've got a... Um, their, their numbers kind of pinned to their jacket and they're going to foxtrot very slowly around the room and it's something that people do when it's raining too heavily to play lawn green bowls right for old people and so let's inject some life and pizzazz and let's cover everybody in sequins fine great terrific that's really great and lots millions of people watch strictly and dancing with the stars over in america that's great terrific he takes that style and does romeo and juliet right and again what he's taken is he's taken something that's kind of potentially a bit stuffy and old Shakespeare stuck in the theatre and he covers it in sequence and gives it some pizzazz and he's got like you know modern songs playing over the top of it and he sets it in the modern era and uh, Claire Danes is wearing an angel you know what he pulls it off you know why he pulls it off because Romeo and Juliet is a fucking rock solid story okay it's a banger and he's got good actors and Shakespearean dialogue is really good <laughs> so Leonardo DiCaprio a banger Romeo it's a banger blood. Romeo Julia <laughs> is a fucking banger of a story. Look how many times that story has been retold in a hundred different ways. It's it's rock solid, okay? So he's not completely incompetent with a camera. But what he does is whatever he's filming, he says, I know, let's swing the camera off a off a rope, right? And spin it around about 50 times and let everybody wear really bright costumes and just go bang, 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 and make it as lively as possible, right? Now, that works for Shakespeare, which can be pretty dull if you don't do something like that with it, right? Apologies to, like, Shakespeare fans, okay? But he liven, his, his idea is livening things up. And he just goes, he makes the mistake of going, aha, now, this is my superpower. The more I amp everything up, the more I cover everything in kind of, you know, uh, uh, over-glamorous clothing and bright colours and everything else, um, and the more I can kind of, you know, turn everything into some sort of camp extravaganza, the better it will be. But he takes Moulin Rouge, which is already all of those things, right? <laughs> right? The can-can, like the fin de siècle Paris, okay? It's already a fucking extravaganza, right? That's why they're all drinking fucking absinthe. And he takes that and he goes, I know, we're just going to have people like jumping up and singing fucking modern songs and swinging from trapezes and gurning for the camera and throw, you know, just pulling faces and running around. You just think, this can fuck right off. And that is literally what Baz Luhrmann does. And it's just, you see it in, in Australia, you see it in the things he does. He just kind of throws a load of shit at the screen in the hope that some of it sticks. And the after a while, you just go... Uh, I haven't got ADHD, uh, so I don't need the film to be like this for 90 minutes. In fact, I'm really, I'm really sick of this. Now, so 90 minutes, I wish, 180 minutes. And it's just, it, it, it's just, and I'm not, I am the last person to say that you should all be like fucking Clint Eastwood and the camera's not allowed to move, right? But fucking slow down, man. Not everything should be like that. I love a good tracking shot. Uh, you know, I'm the one who kind of argues for like the brilliance of, of Martin Scorsese, the absolutely dazzling camera technique that he does. But when all you're doing is spinning the camera around over and over, what you are is 
you're the fucking cameraman on top of the pops who's had too many fucking e-numbers. You're not a film director, right? Hmm. And and that is the problem with Baz Luhrmann. I mean, he's overrated because there are people banging on about Moulin Rouge being some kind of fucking classic and that was nominated for awards. And that film is fucking dog shit. And I think that's that. I'm, I'm getting hectoring here. I, I'll, I'll pull it back a bit. That is why I think he qualifies for overrated because what's happened is, is that a really, really, really shit film has been sort of cemented in in sort of the popular discussion as his crowning achievement. And it kind of encourages him to carry on doing that shit for another 25 years. And that's what's wrong with Moulin Rouge, and that's why he's overrated. If he'd done Moulin Rouge and everyone said, Baz, that's fucking ridiculous, man. Sometimes the camera has to stay still, right? Um, And he'd kind of gone, oh, hang on. And, and like, you know, tried to become a grown-up film director maybe we would we'd think things differently but it's that combination of him having these really bad habits as a director which were rewarded making him think he should just go and do that instead of actually directing films properly and that's a classic example of becoming someone becoming overrated because a film that should have been derided and to teach him a lesson is treated as a classic that's what's wrong with Baz Luhrmann Do you want to throw another name out? I don't think so. I think I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna do Jane Campion then. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's your turn. I nominated Baz Luhrmann, so <laughs> I'm gonna do Jane Campion. Jane Campion has got an Academy Award for Best Director for a film that didn't come close to awards for anything else. I still don't know why it won Best Director because when they said, "Is this the best film?" they went, "Not even close." And they said, "Is this the best kind of uh, performances?" They said, "No." It's like, well, what exactly has she done which is good direction then? Because in every other every other respect, this film has fallen fucking short. And you've inexplicably decided to give Jane Campion the Academy Award for Best Director. And it's almost as if they're saying, oh, yeah, well, she deserves it. So what does she deserve it for? Do you know why she didn't win um, Best Director when The Piano came out? Because Schindler's List came out that year and Steven Spielberg directed the film. But, but lots of brilliant films came out in, in 1993 and Jane Campion should have been nowhere near an Academy Award nomination. And we said this about Jane Camp in another podcast. Tarantino has made eight films that are better than like Jane Campion's ever done, and he's only made nine films. Right? And I'm including one or two of like Tarantino's films that I really fucking dislike as being better than anything Jane Campion's ever <laughs> fucking done. She is an absolute chancer. And the person who overrates Jane Campion most of all is Jane Campion. Because she's the one who stood up and said, oh, well, there's Williams sisters. Yeah, they're quite good at tennis, but they didn't have to do it against the boys. It's like, oh, right. So what you're saying is you're saying your achievements in your field are more significant than the Williams sisters. Not just one of them, but fucking both of them in their field of endeavour. Get to fuck. And again, we're repeating things, and I'm sorry if you, you you sat through the podcast where we discussed this. The actual best directors of all time would fucking shrink back if you said... So would you say you are the Serena Williams of film directors? They go, fucking hang on. I haven't won like 15 Oscars. Do you know what I mean? Most of them would have the humility to go, well, steady on. That's a, you know, they're not everyone can be that incredible at what they do. It's like, she is so fucking, she's got two Oscars. She's got two Oscars. (laughs) She is an unbelievably, the other one's for screenplay, but she's an unbelievably overrated director because nothing she's done is all that good. The piano gets all of... Nobody watches the piano anymore, right? It doesn't get shown on television. 
People want to go back to the best films of 1993 and go, yeah, Schindler's List, man. That was a bit. Everyone goes on about Schindler's List, but fucking The Piano Man. What a great film. No one. It's been forgotten about because it deserves to be. Because the only things that are good about the the piano are Holly Hunter would struggle to be bad in a film, right? Okay, let this be fair. Holly Hunter's excellent, right? If you cast Holly Hunter in a film, she's not going to do a bad job for you. She, she hired a cameraman who took the fucking lens cap off so New Zealand looks good, right? <laughs> and and the, the guy did the score did a nice job. That doesn't make for a good film. That film is boring as shit. And the fact that it's got some nice cinematography because the cinematography is quite good and, and New Zealand looks good, it's not a good film. And she's been, for 30 years, she's been riding on the back of that. Best director. She won the Best Director Oscar for her work on Power of the Dog. And, and, that and, film was so bad. And and the thing is, right, anyone who's read the book will tell you that Power of the Dog is a really good book. So she's done a bad job of a good book. And she's been rewarded with a fucking Oscar for it. I mean, seriously. You know, list all the people that don't have a Best Director Oscar. Sidney Lumet, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick, Alfred Hitchcock, to date Ridley Scott, to date Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and... I'm sure she would go, oh, yeah, you just listed a lot of male directors. I, I fucking love Catherine Bigelow. I think it's amazing that Catherine Bigelow is one best director. I was so glad that she beat James Cameron, you know, with a much less expensive film that did so much more in a Hurt Locker. I have no complaints about Chloe Zhao winning best director. Uh, I, I, I don't think she did a very good job of Eternals, but I don't think that's strictly speaking her fault. I'm not here to complain about Chloe Zhao. I'm here to complain about fucking Jane Campion. She is so overrated and she massively overrates herself. I know people have got to have like a, a, a high opinion of their talents to kind of, you know, compete in a tough industry and everything. But dearie me, she compared herself. She she basically said she was the Williams sisters of film directing. But better. There is, yeah, there is literally no, there's no better definition of, of overrating someone than that. And she's the fucking culprit of that. So I feel we might have peaked early, but one of my nominations for most overrated film director is going to be Jane Campion. No, I think that's a really good example of it. I think Baz Luhrmann was a bit of a 50-50 one because some people like him and some people don't. I think the most overrating thing about Baz Luhrmann is that he still gets to make these big expensive films. However, Jane Campion seems like it's a dead cert where she's saying she's better than... um, she basically said, imagine a tennis player who's better than the Williams sisters, and I'm the film director equivalent of that. Yeah. And Fucking that is, hell. And when you're filmed, when you've not made that many films, and those films include The Piano and The Power of the Dog, you can fuck clean off. Yeah. Um, any other examples? Do you want to talk about Scorsese? And I think, let's, I want to talk about Scorsese and Tarantino and well, I, I think these ones quickly I, I, let, from let, my let, let's, let's talk about these directors in the context of what kind of overrating that they're a manifestation of. Because we've covered Lillman, who like had a big hit for a, a film of a certain kind, and now all he does is throw the same shit at the screen every time because he was over-rewarded for, for that. And we've talked about, um, uh, you know, Jane Campion sort of and the way in which she's overrated. Let, let's talk about the the... What um what Scorsese might be an appointment well, of? Let, let's have a crack was, at that. That's what I was going to say. In my perspective, Tarantino is a little bit different because he's had a bit of a kind of renaissance, or he's had a bit of a comeback. But I do think that their overrating comes from just their devoted following. Mm-hmm. So their following of oh Reservoir Dogs and oh Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, these films are great. And then you see them as like oh yeah they were all right, 
But that's because you were expecting so much more from that overrating, whereas I didn't have anyone to overrate Inglorious or Django or The Hateful Eight or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They were just films that I went to see without any expectation. Um, I think, and the same goes for Scorsese, oh, Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, all these, all these films that he's made, everyone loves, oh, The King of Comedy, blah, blah, blah. and th- imagine if you saw those films at the time, or you saw them without that kind of pre, pre-recommendation, you wouldn't, you would probably think those films are brilliant, but these directors have had their they've got their cult following and they've had their their heyday so to speak or they've had these huge successes and therefore their fans i think their overrating comes from their fans which is totally different to jane campion because she overrated herself but i think what's a good example yeah. of martin scorsese being overrated is that he made the wolf of wall street which is great and he's also but in the last 10 years he's or suppose 12 years he made hugo which was fucking shit and he made The Irishman, which was also fucking shit. And people were just too blind or just weren't willing to ignore... Weren't, weren't willing to, were, were willing to ignore how shit they were because it's Martin Scorsese. The same way that Tarantino has made Death Proof and he made Kill Bill 1 and 2. Those films are shit, but people don't care because he made Pulp Fiction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so if I can, if I can kind of uh, get my head around what you're describing is that because they've made these films which were uh, so influential on the era that they were made in and so beloved by any people and so successful creatively at that time, the longer time goes on, it's like you know when when someone catches a fish on Sunday by a fortnight later he caught a whale. Do you know what I mean? This the story of how good those films gets better and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it kind of has this snowball effect that the films themselves would find it hard to live up to when someone comes to those films thirty years later, when it's kind of it's kind of hard to have the same impact thirty years later anyway. It, it, it's, is that the kind of thing? It's like they've created this fandom, and now because this is kind of. You don't even have to do. You don't have to think about it. Scorsese is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. All these films are classics, and then every new film that he comes out is almost given like, if you had a scoring system, they got they're given like a ten point bonus just for being a Scorsese film because of his reputation. Is that am, am I kind of in the ballpark of what it is of the phenomenon that I think that you're pointing out here? Yeah, I think it's just a case of that they have that kind of cult following, and no matter what they do people will love it mm-hmm. it's, it's the only thing i compared it to is people who follow like taylor swift and adele mm-hmm. and all these musicians and they will go oh remember when they released that album 12 years ago and they won't ignore the, the absolute drivel that they could potentially release in the future i think that's that's the kind of overrating we have of these directors is that no matter and it's the same applies to like wes anderson and any of the directors that we've had listed there is that no matter what they do they they won't be held to account. And I think I think Ridley Scott is an example of a director that will get pasted if his film isn't good. But he's also made some absolute classics, you know, Blade Runner and um, Gladiator. Yeah, I mean, I could go on. He's made these kind of films, but will still be held to account yeah. if his film isn't that good. Yeah, he, get, he gets deserved criticism when his films aren't good. So why don't other people get the same deserved criticism exactly. when they make the same mistake? I, I see what you're saying. I, I'd like to come back to, to Wes Anderson because I think you, you've... There's a slightly different phenomenon. I think you've put your finger on the likes of Tarantino and Scorsese. Is it's it's like 
they've achieved a certain national treasure status. If they were British, you'd call them national treasures. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like you can't criticize them now. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. and, and it's like, if you were to extend that, there's an element of these films have been around a long time. They've been built up and built up and built up. They can't live up to that reputation. Do you remember when I showed you The Big Sleep? We watched that for the pod, yeah? Yeah. That film's from 1947. So that's fucking like 20 odd, 20 odd years before I was born, right? And like nearly 50 years before you were born. The passage of time, it does two things. One, this film gets lit because, oh, it's a cra- it's an all-time great. It's an all-time great. People people call certain films all-time great. It's not just because that film is known as a good film, but it kind of almost burnishes their reputation as someone who knows films to say that film is great. And I'm look, I'm you know, we, we all do a bit of that. I'm sure I'm guilty of that, a bit of that myself. But so you go into a film like that going, it's like, well, this film's like the fucking Bible. Like, am, I, am I allowed to say any of it isn't very good? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when you do watch it, and I, I really like The Big Sleep, but films do get dated. I mean, a, a, a really good example, the reason I've gone back as far as like films of the 1940s, you know how in films of the 1940s how people hold a gun? They kind of hold it like by their belt buckle with, yeah. with their kind of wrist out. Do you know what I mean? They don't, they don't, they don't hold their arm straight. Their kind of wrist is like dangling like that. And if that, film, if that gun's got any kind of recoil, they're going to break their wrist. And they kind of stand there, and they and they and they just they, they hold the gun like in between their navel and their belt buckle, with their with with it down by their side, and their 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 their, their wrist bending over, and they fire it, and the person to get shot sort of stops, goes like a kid playing um, like cops and robbers, and then they sort of crumple to the ground, and you go, and at the time that was like oh my god, Humphrey Bogart shot that guy, and then twenty years from that you've got like Gene Hackman and Clint Eastwood blowing the fuck out of people in The French Connection and Dirty Harry. And that older film just looks so dated in the way that it kind of portrayed that very similar scene. I think you've got an element of that, that films, the longer a film's reputation goes on, the more this gap develops between this kind of unrealistically kind of uh, adulation that it gets and the fact that once you watch it and it's 50 years old, it looks just looks like a film that's 50 years old. I think I think there is a phenomenon around kind of there's the there's the there's the classic older film and the classic older director who kind of is almost beyond criticism, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's and I, and I don't think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, always beyond criticism. That's yeah. right. I mean, yeah, you're not saying for for me if I don't like a recent Scorsese film, I'm not saying anything bad about Goodfellas, which I still think is an, a great great film, right? Um. And and I think there's the, this almost element of it's the opposite of recency bias. You know the way people always like something that's just come out always seems to like be like over gets too much of a mention in the consciousness because it's just come out. But like some older like classic films, classic music get given this kind of you know godlike status, and then when someone who hasn't heard it before forty years later hears it and goes, God, they didn't have very good recording equipment back then, you know. So so there's that. But you mentioned Wes Anderson. Tell me your problem with Wes Anderson. His films are just shit. There's no point to them. There's no story to them. There's no engaging plot. There's no excellent performances. He just films them like he's filming a fucking diorama for a fucking secondary school English project where they said, oh, make this, make a scene from this book of yours. And that's all he does. That's how he films his films. And it's shit. It's so bad. There's nothing good about his films. If you like them, you're saying that you like them because 
you're into films and you're pretending you went to film school. If you if you think, oh, wow, Wes Anderson does all these great films. No, he's a shit director. None of his films are good. So the th- I think Wes Anderson is an overrated director as well. There are a few of his films I've seen that I like, maybe one or two. But he, he has a certain way of making films. And I, I would say that the, the way he makes his films are a kind of box-ticking exercise, that he knows that if he, if he puts these elements in his films, he's got a devoted fan base that will stroke their chins and say how much they love it regardless of the quality of the output, yeah? And here's an example. You start with The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou from 2004. First of all, he packs the film with 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 actors, right? Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Angelica Houston, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon, yeah? He cr- crams them in, yeah? And you look at um, a, a really good example of something like Moonrise Kingdom, right? Where he goes... He packs it, and the same people keep appearing in his films. Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, and it's almost like even if they're only in it for two seconds, you go, "Oh, look, there's Adrian Brody in a funny and funny outfit," and it's and it's almost like it's this weird version of fan service to say he's got this cult following. So as long as Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Francis McDormand, Jason Schwartzman, you know, uh, and all these people turn up in the film, uh, people are you know and. And if you look at the you look at the main photograph of like Moonrise Kingdom, it's everyone's in um, Boy Scout uniforms, and they've all got kind of strange expressions on their faces, and they've all been filmed in a certain way. And you just think there's this almost deliberate like quirkiness that it, that is being used as a substitute for storytelling, is what I think his 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 harshest critics would say about his films. And they don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to kind of like work as a story. They just have to have these kind of pieces kind of nail that to that and that and everyone will he's got you know no new Wes Anderson film ever converts a new fan he's established a fan base that like his quirkiness and all he does is feed that machine and that's why people will either be fans of Wes Anderson who think everyone else is a philistine and doesn't get it or sit there and go this is the emperor's new clothes and I think people who don't like Wes Anderson you know the, you know, g- g- give them a f- give them five minutes to talk about Wes Anderson, and the phrase "the Emperor's new clothes" is very likely to show up in what they say. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think he's just catering. He's just doing a big thing of fan service. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, I've never understood the appeal of any of his films. I just, it seems like people just like dressing up like fucking gimps for two hours when they want to do his films and that's how he manages to attract these casts oh do you want to be in a Wes Anderson film do I get to dress up like a fucking freak yes cool I'm there so there's there's other other directors I think who fall into the same category I think far less so in my opinion because they have some made made some films that I think are brilliant but I think the Coen brothers get given a huge free pass on some very shit films they they made I, look, I think The Big Lebowski is... Big Lebowski is one of my favourite films. That's by the Coen brothers. There's other films I think that are brilliant. Blood Simple. I really like The Man Who Wasn't There. I think uh, No Country for Old Men is really good. I can list a lot of very, very good Coen brothers films. However, there does seem to be this thing where you go, oh, look at that. Like, um... Actually, the, their watershed film is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because there's all that kind of very mannered kind of... They turn up in the middle of, of nowhere and for reasons that don't really get explained in the plot... They start singing a song. Uh, they, all, they all turn up and sing a song, and then it sort of 
and they go off and have some more adventures and it's all very mannered and that everyone's enjoying being dressed in kind of period costume and and it's like there is this identikit quirky Cone brothers plot which comes out now and it's almost like they they are coasting on that reputation and that that some people are going to find that controversial because there are people think the Cone brothers are brilliant but it's like the Cone brothers are in a situation now where they bring something out and it just it's impervious to criticism because yeah. they've got that fandom and their quirkiness is mistaken for 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 genius um yeah I would say it's less quirky than Wes Anderson but yeah. I feel like they don't have as much of a cult following I feel like they have kind of dropped off a cliff um yeah they've dropped basically. off they've dropped off a cliff but people won't admit it yeah is it just because they're not making films anymore and they're not getting spoken about um because I've I've got one more director that I'd like to talk about after the Coen brothers I don't know how many more you've got but I think I've, I've got I've, I've got a couple I mean I've got a couple of people I think fall into that category of of being kind of they've got these they've got this way of doing things that some people just refuse to criticize even though it's clearly shit uh Tim Burton Tim Burton is just kooky 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 here's Johnny Depp in another funny outfit um oh wow I'm a goth look I like goth things let's have a big let's have a set I'll I'll make it like uh, Edward Scissorhands, and it's everyone's going to be in old houses and old costumes, and it's all going to be very quirky and all very very kooky. It's like I've got a low tolerance for that. And again, there are a couple of Tim Burton films I really like, but also he's just kind of he's I think he's veered into this kind of like little Especially a goth Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good description. It's like um, he's got the, the film. The film Sleepy Sleepy Hollow, right? It's like Sleepy Hollow's actually all right. It's got some good bits in it, but it's almost like Tim Burton goes, you know, uh, Johnny Depp in a strange costume, check. Johnny Depp doing an accent, uh, a funny British accent, possibly from, uh, that he that he learned off the fast show, check. You know, it's like, you know, Winona Ryder in a, you know, in an old an old costume. It's like, you can almost kind of go, if you could, you could get an you get an a you could get an AI to actually like come up with a new Tim Burton film because he's got the same tropes every time, which are just there to almost kind of, it's like oh look it's oh Dark Shadows what is it very goth yes is it an old TV show oh, it's basically the Adams Family but someone else did the Adams Family yeah I, I'm not surprised Tim Burton did that do you know what I mean yeah the thing thing is though. I think where it differs from Wes Anderson is that Wes Anderson gets nominated for Oscars. Whereas I think everyone recognises that Tim Burton is only there to make films for goths. And, you know, like these, you know, emo kids that liked where the wild things are. Yeah, I think... You know what I mean? I think Wes Anderson's even more kind of, like, uh, niche and snooty than that because, he, I mean, he gets gets the Oscar nominations, but the majority of his nominations are, are like, for the really indie awards, aren't they? Yeah. He's, He's... so, Tim Burton gives kind of gothic like stylizing a bad name. Wes Anderson gives indie filmmaking a bad name. All the things that all the things that people criticize indie filmmaking for, which is sometimes unfair, are the things that Wes Anderson does in his films. Yeah. You ready for my last one? Go on then. Ang Lee. Interesting. Life of Pi was a hot pile of dog shit. And he won Best Director for Life of Pi. 
Brokeback Mountain was a great film, and he deserved to win Best Director for uh, that. But, but that. That story is bomb-proof, though. That's, uh, Annie Proulx wrote that story. She's one of the best writers of the 20th century, 21st, because she's still writing. That's a fucking brilliant story. And as long as you are basically competent, if, if, you, get, if you get that wrong, then you fucked up. It's not. It's not a mark yeah. of a director's brilliance to kind of go right. If I just cast, two, you know, two decent actors and tell the story that is literally on the page, I should. I should manage here. Would you like to know the films that year that Ang Lee beat to win Best Director? Go on, tell me. So the Master came out that year. Okay, I'm already a little bit angry now. Django Unchained came out that year and <laughs> Tarantino wasn't nominated. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, do you know who else was nominated that year? Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, we can't we can't really talk about this guy anymore because everyone recognises that he's fucking dog shit, but David O. Russell, he was nominated yeah. for Best Director for Silver Linings Playbook, Steven Spielberg for Lincoln, uh, Ben, I don't know how to pronounce that name, apologies, but Ben Zaitlin um, for Beasts of the Southern Wild. All right. And Ang Lee won for Life of Pi. Yeah. Yeah, you see, I mean, Life of Pi is an absolutely brilliant book, and there's a lot of things I like in the book, but that film is a classic example of someone who's who's gone... Maybe the book's not that easy to film. I mean, the whole point of the film is that there is a tiger in the lifeboat, but the narrator calls him by a human name and you kind of in your you, you've got the whole thing about him on the boat with the tiger in your imagination and the minute you have that portrayed on up on a big screen in in film it's a little bit more difficult to um like keep the magic that was in the book you know so it's what 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 year what year was that was that 2012 yeah, the Oscars for 2012, yeah. Yeah, well, I, Zero Dark Thirty also came out that, that year, which I also think was, you know, better than not not everyone likes it. Um, but yeah, Life of Pi, but, you know, Best Director. I mean, if you look at Ang Lee's filmography, he has done some things that are very good. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is, is an amazing film. I agree, um, yeah. And, but also, he did Hulk, and that wasn't very good. Um, you know, he did Sense and Sensibility, which, which is a good film. He's um, he's not he's not the worst director ever to win a Best Director Oscar, but he's nowhere near the best, is he? I don't care if you've made shit films. If you've won two Best Directors and one of them is for Life of Pi, you can fuck off. <laughs> what did he win his other Oscar for? Uh, Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, two yeah t- two Oscars. Two Oscars for Best Director for Ang Lee feels a bit overrated when Ridley Scott has none. Scorsese had to wait kind of 35 years to get one, you know. Yeah, that's a bit over... That is a bit overrated. David... It's interesting, David O'Russell. Are are we saying David O'Russell is not overrated anymore because he's been found out? No, no. I think David O'Russell, right? You could could argue that David O'Russell is overrated. But I think just the, the beauty of time... People have realised that, oh shit, we nominated that guy for a bunch of Oscars. However, the fact that American Hustle got nominated for, what, 10 and didn't win a single one? That was kind of, I think that was his watershed moment, wasn't it? That's when people, the scales fell off people's eyes on that one. 
I think people went, oh. Right, because it got nominated the same year as, like, you know, Dallas Buyers Club, Wolf of Wall Street, 12 Years a Slave. Like, that's three elite films that were just smashing it. And Dallas Buyers Club and 12 Years a Slave, you know, cleaned up along with Gravity. Gravity is another, I think, elite film Mm -hmm. in terms of visual, um, visual perspective anyway. I think that was the kind of year that people went, oh yeah, David Russell's a hot piece of shit. And I don't, has he, he's not made a film since, has he? He oh, just he, has. he just made a film oh. recently called Amsterdam. And I tell you what, there's an element of overrated somewhere. Someone overrated him enough to give him $80 million to make another film and pull but, all the same shit. And it absolutely belly flopped. Yep. And it's got a great cast of Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Andrea. Oh my God, that cast is... Uh, that's a great cast, and yeah, shit. He did that Joy as well, which people didn't really like. So he's, he's, there's a little bit of a residual overrated in that a bunch of people still turned up to be in that film and he got $80 million to make it after a number of people have not, have actually gone, hey, good start to his career, couple of good moments, the fight is good, Three Kings is good. He, but what he is, the thing about the fighter and Three Kings is that they're not... They're films about about the story that I think he did quite a good job of. But the more he does less of that and more of a David O. Russell film, the shitter his films get. But I, I think people have... They've, they've sort of found him out by now, haven't they? Mostly. But there's a he, little bit of residual overrating left there. He did Accidental Love as well, which got absolutely panned. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we can include him in this conversation because he's had 10 years of just being in the bin. Mm. Um, and I don't think, I don't know, you know what, you could say to someone, I could say to you, do you like David Tarantino? Uh, David? David Russell? Do you like Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, I do. Do you like Steven Spielberg? Yeah. Do you like Baz Luhrmann? No. But I know someone who does. Do you like, do you like David Russell? I don't think a single person goes, oh yeah, I like David Russell's films. Most people will be going, who's David Russell? And you go, oh, the guy that did American Hustle, and they probably go, meh. I, that's, that's, I think that's what you need to think about when you think about overrated as well. I, I, I think he's got a few fans left, but it's definitely on the wane, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you were to remind people who Jane Campion was, some people are probably going to say, oh yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the piano or enjoyed the power of the dog, even though she's a, you know, a narcissistic fucking idiot. She's, um, she's still going to have her fans, but I think David Russell is the first director that we mentioned there that people will go... No, I don't think I actually like many of his films, or I don't know yeah. David Russell, so I don't think he's that good anymore. I mean, yeah. Ang Lee's still got films that that are great. I will always love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, I still think he's really overrated because he's won p- two Best Directors. Mm-hmm. A lot, yeah. Ahead of he's he's won more awards than people who are definitely better than him. Yeah, I mean Tarantino's not won a Best Director yet. That's yeah. just a crime. Yeah. As a bit of a thought exercise, if we pull up one of the, the directors that, that came off the socials and which does get a mention from time to time, let, let, let's turn the spotlight on ourselves for a second. Are we giving Christopher Nolan too much of an easy ride? Because we we are fans of the way he makes films. And I think the reason I'm asking this question is, is are we being un- unnecessarily harsh on people like Wes Anderson films? Because is it just purely a matter of taste that Wes Anderson does what he does and he does it skillfully enough to entertain the people who like that sort of thing? How is that any different to Christopher Nolan doing his films his way, it, which you and I really love, but which turn a lot, leave a lot of other people cold or turn them off? 
I think if the person who recommended that uh, Christopher Nolan um, suggestion was there the minute we came out of the the IMAX in London after Dunkirk, I think they would realise that we are very fair when it comes to rating Christopher Nolan's films. Mm-hmm. I think we give credit where it is due. I'm obviously this person obviously I doesn't like Christopher Nolan. That's fine. Like you're not going to like every director, and not we're not going to all have the same taste. But I don't think we've given them a, a, a given him a fair ride or an, an unfair ride over the years. Sorry, because I hated Tenet, um, for, and not just because I didn't like the story for the the director's choices in that film. Um, the sound was awful. The the choice to have the dialogue sound like it was coming through the the actual face mask and the gas mask was just absurd. I thought that was very stupid. Um, so the I, fact the fact that we criticise a Nolan film when we don't like it, um, and I think, I mean, I've spoken to other people about Christopher Nolan. I've listened to podcasts of people who are Nolan fans. It feels to me like there isn't the same kind of like cult following of Nolan it's like and that might be because his films are aimed at a much wider audience it's like you put it out there and if people like it they like it it's like yeah I've bought the Inception you know DVD and then I bought the Blu-ray and I watched it at the IMAX because it's fucking good you know I haven't got around to buying Dunkirk um, because I didn't like it yeah is that is that the is that the difference because Christopher Nolan can't get 200 million dollars to pander to a small indie crowd that watches his films at the festivals. He's got to, he has to, you know, enough people have watched Nolan films to form an opinion of them. So he's got to stand or fall on, on a, you know, a much kind of bigger sample of, of, of the, of the population. Well, I think, I think I was answering two questions there. So you said, do we think we've given Nolan an easy ride? I personally don't think we have because we will say, look, I didn't think Tenet was as good as Mm. his other stuff. Um, however, I do understand where the person that suggested Christopher Nolan is coming from because he does. There are people out there that will just loyally follow his films regardless, without actually looking at any flaws in mm. his films. Um, as much as I love Interstellar, I think there's a big flaw in the fact that it is very hard to follow, and it just kind of goes, "Oh well, we wanted it to be like 2001, so therefore, if you don't understand the ending, well, that's up to you." I do recognise that there are faults in his films. I still love. Ninety percent of his films. It's just, I, I can also recognise that he's got some flaws in his films. Whereas I think he does have a sort of following of, oh my god, Nolan's released another film. Let's go see. Oh wow, that was so good. Have yeah. you seen it yet? No. You know what I mean? It's just that it, he does have a cult following, and it is frustrating. So, um, yeah. Here's the. Is what I think would be the difference in terms of that cult following. This is. I don't think Christopher Nolan panders to that cult following at all. Because he's always mm. trying... He is so focused on what he's trying to do with his film. And he does things which, you know, he's he must be aware that what he's doing is going to turn some of his audience off. And I don't think he's doing that on purpose. He's just saying, I'm prepared to take that risk because I'm trying to do this thing. And I think that's like Kubrick. Kubrick wasn't that worried about someone not liking the film that he was making. He was more interested. Could he look back on it and go, yeah, that's what I was trying to do? And, and I, I, I think he... One thing you can't say about Christopher Nolan is someone who does something like Tenet and then releases it in the pandemic, you can't accuse him of playing it safe, right? Yeah. Even if you don't like the film, he's really fucking gone for it with that. And and I, I personally think that the difference between that and someone who goes, 
just going to get all the same actors and I give them all the same little kind of story beats and tropes and I'll go yeah let's just make sure that it's 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 shot like that and looks like that and make sure it's got all that stuff on the poster it's not going to be a case of you what what's he doing this time do you know what I mean and I think that's a difference and I think that's probably partly the difference to Tarantino as well is that Tarantino does a film like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you go he's going to do a story about the Charles Manson family killing Roman Polanski's wife and you go oh shit and then you go, oh no, hang on! You see what he's done? He's tried. To, he's he's trying to pull something off. He sets himself a challenge with his next film, you know. And he's, you know, he's, he's an interesting filmmaker because he's he's fucking going for something, you know. And I I I will say that when Wes Anderson did something like Isle of Dogs in stop motion, that was actually quite a good film. And to actually try and do a film like that in stop motion and tell that story. Um, I have to give credit where credit's due, where he has done a couple of things where I did like what he did. But then he just goes back to the same thing and says, oh, let's get the old gang together and do another one of those ones. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the difference with Nolan. Yeah, I think I think the list, I think what we should do before we finish is that we should go through that list again quickly and we just both say whether we think the director's over or underrated. But from what I, I can remember what I can remember from that list, like a bit of, like like a director Tinder. Um Can I can I throw one more name out before we do that? Because that's exactly how I wanted to finish just, things just as well. Quickly before we start that, I think yeah. from what I remember of that list, because it was quite extensive, is that it felt to me like those directors were purely based on taste. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no kind of facts and yeah, quotation yeah, yeah. marks to kind of back up that they were overrated like whether it's oscar nominations or the director themselves saying that they're fucking brilliant but yeah, what, what we can do preference. what we can do is we can look at those directors and see if they fall into any of the traps that we've mentioned you know like believing your own hype you know being kind of making the same film over and over again because you've had one success you know those kind of those kind of things that we that we talked about yeah yeah before we do that, I've got one last name to throw out there, and this might be controversial. It doesn't give me a lot of pleasure to say this, because he, he, he seems like an all right bloke, right? But Martin McDonough. Oh, no, I 100% agree. He made a very good film in In Bruges, which is a very good example of someone... It's like a good de- debut album. It's like Whether they follow that up with a better body of work, only time will tell, you know? And he came out with a very strong debut within Bruges. And I think that works because it's it, the whole thing is tied together and revolves around basically just one storyline. When he tried to juggle different characters and do more in Seven Psychopaths, it completely fell flat. I think Three Bubbles doesn't quite pay off. And I don't think Banshees pays off. It's got so many things happening, like in terms of the different storylines, kind of the young... Um, supporting actor whose who's dad is the cop who's kind of beating him and you know the reason why Brendan Gleeson's doing what he's doing and the reason why uh, the the sister wants to go to the mainland and all of this stuff it doesn't quite hang together I think he's someone who's very good at writing scenes um, but because he's he's writing his own scripts and he goes onto the set and goes right we're going to write we're going to film exactly what I wrote what I wrote is kind of wholly writ and, and can't be changed and he's put stuff out there where there were some you know flaws in what he was doing and he he didn't quite pull it off and the reason I think he's overrated is because I don't think I don't think Martin McDonough is shit because I think there are moments in, in Banshees which are really very good I think that you know there is some like a lot, a lot of very good scenes, and he's got good performances out of the actors and everything. Not that it's that hard to get good performances out of those actors; they were all very good actors. But 
The reason I think he's overrated is that he has been given tons of awards and nominations. And I think those those awards and nominations are going to encourage him to carry on doing what he's doing when I think he he does feel like the kind of person who if he went back to the drawing board a little bit, he might actually start making better films. But he's not going to because he's a, he's he's got he's found this little success doing these films. And I don't think his films are as good as they get he's he gets given more credit, in my humble opinion, than he deserves. And most of his films are not shit. But I think he gets he's he gets treated like a genius when I, I don't think he's I don't think he's quite up there, you know. Yeah, he's won he's he's won eighty nine awards. Now he hasn't won an Oscar for his directing, but he's been Oscar nominated for his directing, right? He's won you know, he's won an Oscar for uh, best short film. Yeah, um, but you know he's been nominated for his directing at, at the Academy. He's won. Uh, He's won. I'm sure he's won BAFTAs for his for his directing. He's certainly been nominated for BAFTAs for his directing. He's, and I, I just don't think he's. If you were to say to him, like you know, Martin, I think there's elements of your films that haven't worked. Maybe you should change your way of doing things. You go fucking look at my award shelf, mate. Go fuck yourself. He's got every right to do that. He's making. He's a very successful man, right? But I don't. I, I think time is going to look back in his films and go, yeah. Do you know what I think? To Apart, apart from in Bruges. Do you know I think it's a good example of him being overrated? Do you know that Martin McDonough has got a younger brother who's done two great films? Yes, yes. Is, was it At Pat, least John, two great John, films. What's his name? John, My- John Michael or Patrick or something like that? John or? Michael McDonough, right? Yeah, yeah he, he did the, done, the Guard. Yeah, so he did a, a, a short film called The Second Death with uh, Liam Cunningham back in the day and then he did The Guard his first film that he directed at 44 which is a great film if you haven't seen it it's got mm. um, uh, Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle Brendan Gleeson plays like a, an Irish uh, policeman in the Garda and Don Cheadle's an FBI agent who's come over to Ireland to investigate a, uh, like I think it's a drug thing you've got a bit or, of fish, fish out of water thing going on yeah and it's it's a great film have you, have you seen Calvary? no it's, it's another one on my very long watch list excellent film it's got Brendan Gleeson, Chris O'Dowd, Kelly Riley, Aidan Gillen, uh, Dylan Moran. It's uh, just a great film. Um, it's about uh, Brendan Gleeson, again, uh, is a priest that is threatened during a confresh- uh, confession. And it's just about his, the story of him after after you hear the confession. Mm-hmm. And then since then, he's not really done much. He's done another film called War on Everyone, which didn't really... didn't uh, do Didn't do very well, but... He's, then, it, the thing is, um, to be fair to Martin McDonough, he didn't let that discourage him when you know he got bad reviews for Seven Psychopaths. Maybe John Michael McDonough needs to come back out of the gate with something else. Yeah, and he did the Forgiven, but he's got upcoming projects. But he, he, I think what's overrated is that John Michael McDonough has done two films that probably aren't as good as In Bruges, but are definitely better than the then, Manchester Better than everything else he's done. Better than everything else, and nobody talks about them. Um He's an overrated film director. His brother is an underrated film director, Martin well, McDonough. Do you know what I think is a testament to what we said about Martin McDonough is that he is a great writer. He had four plays running simultaneously at, in London's West End at the age of 27. Do you know who the last person to do that was before him? It was someone like, was it Harold Pinter or someone like that? Or? William Shakespeare. Fucking hell. <laughs> the, yeah, so, the, see, this, this is the thing. Talented writer. I mean, and the thing is, should give him a bit of a pass for this because writers get treated like shit in Hollywood, in the film industry. You know, it's like, and because of course they do. 
Every time someone says what's the most important thing for a decent film is the script, right? Just like everyone says that, you know, if you're going to do a big blockbuster, then the visual effects need to need to look decent. And who else gets treated like shit? The visual effects people. Hollywood, like, is its own worst enemy for treating some of the people that are most important to the success of the project mm-hmm. like dog shit. And a lot of writers end up wanting to direct their work because they're sick of being fucking sidelined and treated like shit. Charlie Kaufman, you know, is wants to be involved collaboratively in the films that he's written because he's the one who's who can make it work and he's got sick of that and now directs the films himself i don't blame him for doing that but all of the best charlie calvin films were directed by other people because there's a difference between directing and writing which is if martin mcdonough went and wrote a story that was turned into a television show he would have the creative control that he needed to kind of get his project done but he could focus on being a writer which like you say he's very good at yeah I think we're trying to be fair and balanced here, in, to, in the words of Fox News. Um, so, yeah, like uh, as you suggest, Matt, let's go back over this list of people said, you know, who, who, who are overrated. And let's say, let's say if we think they're overrated or it's a matter of taste or whether there's an element where they've like, fallen into that category. Like Ta- overrated Tinder, are we swiping yeah, yeah. left or swiping yeah, right? Yeah. Tarantino. Uh, can we say that they're overrated even if we like them? Because I'm going to say that. I think he has this absolute cult following who won't accept that he's made some terrible films in the past, but I still enjoy his films. I would say that one or two of his films are overrated, but I don't think he is because he is one of the most gifted people ever to sit behind a camera. That's but fair. I think he has made some overrated films. Um, which isn't always the fault of the person who's made the film, right? In fact, often isn't at all. But th- there you go. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, overrated. Yeah. Bless his heart. He's done some stuff that I like, but... I like The Gentleman, and I think some of his films are funny, but he does just do the same film. And it's very much films for your own gammon Brexit voter. Lock, stock, and two smoke about. He has made quite a few films where you go, wow, he keeps getting these big budgets for films, and it's like... Mm. Um, you mean King Arthur. Yeah. So, Wes Anderson. I think we're, we're both ticking the yes box there. Hoo-wee. Michael Mann. I think Michael Mann's fairly rated, don't you? I, I I think there is an element of people who think Michael Mann is an absolute god, but I, I do think with Michael Mann that his his reputation as a good filmmaker rests on some films which are inarguably very, very good. The fact that he's yeah. made some films that aren't. He was good until he wasn't, put it that way. He made some excellent films, but for about he's not done anything of note in the last decade, and no one pretended that Black Hat was a great film. But they yeah, did. They did say. They did say Collateral was good because it was good. You know. Yeah, I think he's a fairly rated director. Yeah, I think he's established enough. himself as a, yeah, yeah. A, a good director. Yeah, fair enough. M Night Shyamalan. Who likes that cunt? <laughs> I think. I think. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think that's the bit right. It's, it's like, I mean, he keeps making films and he keeps kind of you know he's obviously rated by people in the film industry because they keep letting him make films, but. It's not like you. It, if if you were ha- if you were in a conversation with a bunch of people about film directors and you said you didn't like M Night Shyamalan, you wouldn't feel like you were the only person in the fucking room who sees sense about him, right? He can't be overrated given the number of people who think he's shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think. That, do you know what M Night Shyamalan has done so perfectly is that he is because he puts a twist at the end of his films. 
people will still go see his films, even if they hate his films. Just to see what the twist is. Because they want to know the twist. And he has done that. He is a, he's a fucking genius for doing that. He still makes shit films. But people know, oh, there's going to be a twist What's at the end the of this, twist? and I like being surprised. And that's that's the that's the fucking rub. And and so, and sometimes his films are quite good with the twist. I mean, Sixth Sense is still a good movie, and and I think Unbreakable is actually even better than Sixth Sense. Um, and uh, Split, yeah, well, that's carried by James McAvoy, right enough. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Christopher Nolan. I think he's fairly rated by ourselves. I think we rate him quite fairly. He's, he's um, one of the, he's one of those people who has a cult following that overrate him. But I mean, there's also plenty of people who don't like the way he makes films. So it's not like it's not like people who don't like his films get drowned out. He's made some of my favorite films and the best films I've ever seen. So I can't really stand here and say that he's overrated because he's mm-hmm. made some excellent cinema. I, yeah, I, th- I think the conversation about him is fairly balanced. There are two camps on Nolan. Some people like him. Some people don't. Um, Terence Malick. He's only made like three films. I, I personally, I think he's, he is really overrated. He made some brilliant films back in the day, and now he just makes the same film over and over again for the people who like who worship him. And it's he's. Uh, if he doesn't direct a film every three years, what does he do in the meantime? Just produce stuff. I've no idea. He he went about twenty five years without making a film. Does he? He must write stuff as well. God knows. I, I've always I've always wondered what it is with people like because you know are they is he fucking driving cabs to 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 keep make ends meet in the meantime? I, I don't know. I mean, because twenty years without does, making a movie, I, don't, I honestly don't know what he did for a living. He does adverts for Louis Vuitton. Yeah, probably. So they've thrown a lot of money. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I think he's a little bit overrated. Yeah. Mm. All right, Spielberg overrated. I don't know why I went scouse there. Um, yes. I, I think he falls into the same camp as Scorsese because he now has this god status and people are prepared to overlook the fact that his films he's not as good as he as he used to be. He still made some fucking absolutely legendary films. Though. You know what? I think I'll take that back because he's still making good films now. And I think the fact that he's managed to adapt and still make good films that people... Like, I really enjoyed Ready Player One when that came out. So I think... I think it'd be unfair to... Ready Player One is an enjoyable film even though you basically know it's not very good. <laughs> Um, yeah, I enjoyed it, and it's. I think it was a. I, 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 I think find, it was I well it, done, and it was polished for. I find it hard to slag Steven Spielberg off in general because he just seems to generally like what he's doing, and he seems to be a decent person. He seems to have his heart in the right place when he makes his films, and even now when he's making films, he's not the Spielberg of the eighties and nineties. But there's still a chance his next film's going to be worth watching. You know. Yeah. Sam Mendes. Is he overrated? I think, I think everyone were... slated the uh, Spectre when it came out, and he's been yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I don't feel like he escaped criticism, so I wouldn't say he's overrated. His good films are rightly lauded. I think he was a bit overrated at the time of like something like American Beauty, because American Beauty got a lot of like praise that it didn't deserve. But I think overall on body of work, I think he's rated where he deserves to be. I think 1917 was a fucking incredible. Yeah, feat yeah, yeah. Of, uh... Yeah, and I think he deserves all the credit he got for what a good film that was. Yeah, I mean, uh, think about how hard it is to direct a film like that. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't think that's a fair thing to say. Sam Raimi? Who, again, who likes that cunt? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think he's, he's, he's overrated by a very, very small number of kind of like fanboys, and everyone Gosh. else is kind of you know over there with him. Ta- Taika Waititi. Hold on, I just want to say about Sam Raimi is that when Do- he did Doc- Doctor Strange two or Do- was it Doctor Strange two Strange mm-hmm. Harder, mm-hmm. and I thought. Okay, this this was rubbish. And one of the reviews was, 
Where, why has Sam Raimi not been directing more movies in this time? Why has he not been directing more Marvel films? And I went, well, there you go. That's why. It's yeah. shit. I, I mean, I don't blame him for Doctor Strange. I think he turned up and had absolutely no creative freedom, but he took the money and did it anyway. Yeah. Um, take away Titi, you see. Um, I think if if things carry on a couple more years, he might he might be counted as, as, as overrated. But actually, the films he's directed up to now, apart from Thor, Love and Thunder, I think his filmography stands up, personally. Yeah, I think you're allowed to have a bit of a mess. And I think Thor, Love and Thunder is a mess, not because of him, but because Marvel is just going through a really bad period yeah, at the moment. Yeah, he, 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 he seems to be giving off a vibe at the moment where he's believing his own hype, but I don't think that's translated himself into that many actual bad films. Fucking Thor, Love and Thunder was shit. But I think on the whole, his films have been good. So, I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, if, if someone were to, to have this conversation five years from now, who knows? Uh, but Sofia Coppola? I've not seen enough of her films to actually no, say no, that she's yeah, overrated. Me, me either. She's, she's, I think the reason she's on this list is that she's like this really kind of like highly rated like indie, indie director. And indie films are not liked by everyone. A lot of people think they're a bit navel-gazing, but I, I don't know enough about her to comment. David Lynch? Again, not seen enough. I know people absolutely love him. Um, people rave about like his kind of you know unique style of directing, so to speak. But I, I think I, he's fairly rated. I think his I, I think I, yeah, June I, was slagged off. Um, I think it's a matter shit. of t- I think it's a matter of taste with him. Yeah. It's I, I don't think there are people going, oh yeah, he's the best thing and all that criticize him. He's just it, what he does is such a matter of taste. Ken Loach. No, Ken Loach is a fucking great director. Don't, I will not have a bad word said about Ken Loach. I think his films are great, and his films are important. And I think if you slag off Ken Loach's films because you love austerity and you're a fucking Tory. So, so with Ken Loach, he is absolutely brilliant at what he does. And th- there are criticisms that you can level sometimes about the message of some of his films, um, even even when he's well-intentioned. Things like I, Daniel Blake. I mean, people have actually come back and said, actually, there's some stuff in there that's very one-sided but on a cinematic level he's you can't criticize how brilliantly he makes his films have you seen the angel share no that's the one with him out of uh, line of duty in it isn't it is it martin compston the little guy no that well one that's racist because you just think that every scottish actor looks the fucking same because martin compston isn't in that film that's sweet 16 you're thinking i'll be like fucking racist have I got that wrong? Oh well. Yeah, the angel share that the angel share they just cast really unknown people apart from I suppose Roger Allen. Yeah. Um, but it's about um this just this kind of reprobate who narrowly avoids jail and then uh, while doing community service gets into whiskey tasting mm-hmm. and then ends up uh, going all the way to a whiskey auction in the Highlands to steal this really rare bottle of whiskey to steal. All <laughs> um, oh, right. And it's a great film. Um, people forget that he sometimes does films that like are a lot of fun. Yeah, it's 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 daft. They end up spoiler alert, big spoiler alert. If you're ever gonna watch this film, it's very niche and unheard of. But they they take this bottle of they take this barrel of whiskey that someone buys for two million and store it in glass iron brew bottles <laughs> and transport it on a bus back to Glasgow. And they're all like, "Yes, we're gonna sell these bottles for a hundred thousand pounds each." Great. And they say, "Cheers!" Hit the bottles together and smash all the whiskey onto the pavement. <laughs> Christ. Yeah. 
No, I think that's it, not the whole story. I but think, that's just yeah, what look, like. I think you can you can disagree with you know that there is some fact. There's some the thing with Ken Loach is that he's got a point to make, and he'll never let. There will be times when he's so busy making his point that the facts will slip away from him. But in terms of filmmaking, no. The one um, that shakes the barley is a great film as well. Yeah, Land and Freedom. Although at the end of Land and Freedom, he's he's what he says at the end of Land and Freedom is is actually quite out of order. But the actual filmmaking is brilliant. Um, Denny Villeneuve. Is he? I think he does good films. Yeah, I I, I, mean, I, I don't think he's overrated. I think the, the thing is right. You look at the films he's made. We had a discussion about him about whether he's like one of the best directors working today. There is some there is something stopping him being seen as the absolute kind of greatest of all time so far. But most of the films he makes are just legit good films. Like yeah. Dune was a good good adaptation that wasn't easy. All right, if you if you're not into like a Blade Runner sequel, he's not going to win you over. But that film's clearly well made. And Sicario, things like that, fucking excellent films. He's just I don't, I'm not sure why he showed up in this list. He's a legit good film good filmmaker who was only really thought of as someone who makes good films. No, I don't think anyone holds him up as like a, a godlike genius, do they? He has been nominated for three Oscars though. Yeah, just you know. Nominated, 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 but not winning. It's like, the, and you know, the a little bit of appreciation. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that the person who suggested Denis Villeneuve probably just has a personal taste. Just, they don't yeah, like his I films. think I think that's personal taste. Baz Luhrmann, I think we've already said yes. Shite. Tim Burton, we've already said yes. Shite. Ron Howard, interesting one. Ron Howard has been shit for a while. I think he's overrated in the sense that he has he has won an Oscar for best director, and I don't. I think. I think at his best, he makes good films. He's a solid, he's a rock solid, capable director. The right, the right material will be good, but he does, he has made some some shit as well. Overrated though, I don't hear people talk about Ron Howard in on the list of best directors that much. I'd go, oh, I'd go and see his film if it seemed like a good idea. Like I, mm. I actually enjoyed the uh, Robert Langdon adaptations. I mean, apart from the last one because that mm. one was awful, but. Yeah, like you say, no one goes, oh, Ron Howard, he's one of my favourite directors. He's made some good films. Um, not for a while, though. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think I think he can be hit and miss, and it is probably... If you're taking Oscars off people who've won Best Director to give them to people who should have been given a Best Director Oscar, he wouldn't be the first person you'd take it off, right? But he is like, okay, if, if, you, list all the, if you list all the people who've won Best Director Oscars and then list all the people who haven't. He's not the strongest, you know, Oscar winner ever, but overrated, I, th- I think, is over... Is I think calling him overrated is overdoing it a little bit, if you ask me. I think A Beautiful Mind is, is a great story, and I think it all just kind of happened for Ron Howard yeah. at that point. Yeah, However, yeah, yeah. I think Cinderella Man is a much better film than A Beautiful Mind, in my opinion. Yeah, and and it, we're going to give him a Best And here's the other thing. He also that. directed Apollo 13. He's done some legitimately fucking excellent films. Yeah, he's, Cinderella he's a, Man or Apollo per- 13 are much better candidates for a Best Director. He's probably. a perfectly decent director, and, and at times he's very, very good. So I wouldn't... And I don't think he has pretensions to be anything more than that. If you if you speak to him, he's, again, he seems like a pretty decent guy. So, yeah, I'm, I, I would defend Ron Howard a little bit from those accusations. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that man, you love him, and I think he's shit. So on that basis, he's overrated. Yeah, I, I, I think his, I think it's a matter of taste with him. I think he's, yeah. I think he's, I think he defends himself from the charges that he does go out and actually fucking try things with his films, and he's certainly a cut above some of the other people we've talked about on on this over. David O. Russell, Wes Anderson, Baslow was so bad. Yeah, uh, uh, personally, I think it's a matter of taste, but. I can understand someone thinking, "Guy, th- this guy's won loads of Oscars, you know, won loads of awards." I don't think he's all that good, and there are people who kind he's of lionise. Yeah, so 
He's shit. F- final one, Paul Thomas Anderson. Ooh. Now, you've seen more of his films than I have. I think I've seen all of them, apart from uh, his first one. If you can get as good a performance as you can out of Adam Sandler, then I don't think it's fair to say that you know, he's been nominated for 11 Oscars. And never Holy won. Fuck. He's never won a Best Director Oscar. Not for There yeah, Will Be Blood, not for Boogie Nights, not The Master. I think I don't think you can say he's overrated then if he's been nominated for 11 and never won, because the, if the Academy don't fucking rate him, then... I, I think he's an absolutely fucking brilliant director, and I think, the, I'm, I think the people who don't like him, it is purely just a matter of taste. He does a certain type of film. He likes to talk about, you know, he likes to go on about the 70s. That might not be for you, but he is fucking brilliant at what he does. You know, Boogie Nights is, I mean, just if you're not, if you don't like the style of, the, of, of, of filmmaking, fair enough. But tell me that scene where Alfred Molina's in his pants, waving a gun around with fucking bags of cocaine falling about while Mark Wahlberg and John Cirale are about to have a nervous breakdown and everyone could get shot any minute and Alfred Molina is fucking singing along to fucking 80s fucking hair metal. Tell me that's not a fucking brilliant scene. Tell me your heart is not in your mouth while, while you're watching that fucking movie. And that is 100% down to the quality of the direction. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's fair to say he's overrated. If if I'm not, I'm not going to slag off anyone who doesn't like what he does. But he, but calling him overrated—that's fucking bollocks. That he's a fucking talented bloke. <laughs> okay, now it's a listener suggestion. Fuck's sake. <laughs> yes, yeah. bollocks. Let's not get into a fight. Um, <laughs> okay, so I think what we've done there is I think we've sort of admitted that it can be a matter of taste, and we've looked at different examples of ways in which can people be overrated. And I think we've tried to be fair, but we have actually we have stuck the boot in on a couple of people that we don't like. Um, a few people have already lent their thoughts on this on the socials, which I'm very grateful. Any any other thoughts that people have, get in touch. Um, and thank you very much for listening. Perfect. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Spotify. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Outside of Double Reel, you can find us both hosting a non-film-related podcast, The Adamson's Versus. Our latest episode, The Adamson's Versus the BBC, is out now. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 37 next month. Keep an eye out for any special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. Fuck Pretty Patel. Fuck it, I don't know, I didn't have an ending. <laughs> I think fuck Microsoft Windows is your ending. Mike, well, fuck Microsoft Windows. I don't know what I'm going to do about this whole fucking mic situation.